I know, I know, it's spring forward, so can we just like do a one big stretch together, just a big collective stretch, okay, all right, how are we doing now? Okay, all right, awesome, hey, I'm so glad that you're here this morning, uh, you guys are incredible for, you know, springing forward and still being here at the 915, we expect 11 to be really packed, uh, so it's going to be really fun, um, and uh, it, it's always packed around here, I hope, it's really uh, uh, an exciting time. Uh, anyway, so we're on this, this journey together through the season of Lent, uh, and uh, throughout this season leading up to Easter, we're preparing our hearts. Lent is a, uh, a uh, church word that means springtime, uh, and we're preparing our hearts for the renewal and the new birth and the, the resurrection that comes at Easter. Uh, and to do that, what we're doing is we're going through the book of Matthew together, and uh, as you go through the book of Matthew, you notice uh, that Jesus and his disciples, they're not just talking about ministry. They're not just thinking about, you know, making a difference and, and uh, going on mission in the world. Uh, they're actually doing it. They're actually putting faith into action, and it's blessing the people and the world around them. And so we're following them, and we're uh, going on the Jesus run together. And uh, to, to get into today's topic, I wanted to show you that clip from the movie The Intern, uh, which, by the way, uh, since it had Robert De Niro in it, my, uh, my mother-in-law was like, oh, we should watch this movie with Robert De Niro. It's called The Intern. I'm like, oh, awesome. I know how this movie's going to go. Robert De Niro's going to get a bunch of young mobsters together. And it's going to be an awesome movie. Uh, well, it's, it's not that kind of movie, uh, but it actually was very good. It had some great themes in it. And I wanted to show you that, that opening clip because I think that, that what Robert De Niro's character experienced is something that we all experience. Uh, Robert De Niro's character is named Ben, and Ben is a 70-year-old man who uh, lost his wife three years ago, and, and as he said in the video, he's working through retirement, trying to figure out how does he find meaning and fulfillment and purpose, and he has this hole in his life that he needs to fill soon, and the truth is that we don't really have to be in retirement to sense that hole in our life that we need to fill. In fact, most of us, we spend our entire life seeking and pushing and trying to fill this hole that we sense. And so Robert De Niro, he applied for this internship at this company, at Anne Hathaway's company, uh, uh, that's this up-and-coming startup that just exploded with growth and popularity, and it's filled with a bunch of millennials. It's, they don't wear, they don't dress like this at the office, okay? It's, it's more like no one's shaved, and no one tucks in their shirts, and everybody's doing this on their phones because it's, it's a company full of millennials, right? And, uh, and so they start this new senior intern program and Ben gets hired and, and assigned to assist the CEO. And the CEO is so busy. She's going here and there and everywhere and she's so important and got all these things going on. But the truth is, while Ben has a hole in his life to fill, Jules, the CEO, is wondering if she has what it takes I was wondering if she has enough because the explosive growth of her company has caused her investors to think, well, maybe we need a more experienced CEO. And I think that whether you're the CEO of a company or whether you're in retirement or whether you're in high school or whatever stage of life that you might be right now, we all have these holes that we sense that we need to fill, these gaps in our life. We all have things that we come up against that just seem like giants that are way too big for us. We all have these things where we wonder, is there a way to fill this hole? Is there a way to be enough? 
In fact, uh, just out of, out of curiosity, can we just have a moment of honesty this morning? Uh, how many of you would say that in your own life that there's been times or maybe even time, you're in a time right now where there's a hole in your life and you're looking to fill it? It's not that you're unhappy, it's just that there's something you're lo- more that you're looking for. Or maybe for you, it's that you're wondering, man, do I really have what it takes to face this challenge ahead of me? Does anyone feel like me in that sense? Okay, look around, you're not alone. And for those of you that didn't put your hand up, we know you're either superhuman or unhuman, or you just felt just as inadequate as the rest of us and didn't raise your hand. So, uh, so anyway, we'll pray for you. You're awesome. We love you. See, the, the thing is, this is, a, this is something we all experience. This is a human thing. It's not just for Christians or for people that aren't Christians or church people. This is a human thing that we all deal with, and we just have different challenges and different holes and different experiences. See, what do we do when we feel like we have a gap in our life that we're trying to fill? Well, a lot of us do what Robert De Niro's character did. We, we plan our next vacation. That will fill the hole. Or, or we, we try to schedule our kids to have so many different opportunities and, and uh, every single sport on the planet and every single musical activity on the planet and every single thing on the planet. If we can just get that into their lives, then their lives will have no holes and no gaps that they need to fill, right? You should talk to them about that. Because when they come and sit in my office, they actually cry because they're wondering the whole time, when will it ever be enough? See, you don't, you don't have to be in retirement to feel like that there's a hole or that you don't have enough. It, it happens at every age. So we try to fill our lives with, with all these things but what about when we wonder if we have enough? See, for a lot of us, we've, we've tried for so long, we've strived and strained to get that promotion or to get to that pay level or to get to that, into that group or to finally get to that stage of life. Oh, we finally got married or we finally had kids or we finally had another kid or we finally had a boy or we finally had, uh, got a house or we find whatever stage of, of life that you might think is like that next thing that's gonna make you full Some of us, we've gone on that journey and then we arrive there and we realize that there's still another step on the journey. It's kind of like you take a step towards the finish line and the line takes a step away. And it's this this never-ending process. There's a clinical word for that. It's called perfectionism. And I'm a recovering perfectionist. I really am. Like, I mean, I know it's kind of funny, but like, I really am. Like, that's something I struggle with. I know that there's a lot of us here that do too. Always wondering, am I ever going to have enough? Some of us, we, we look at our lives and we think, is there ever going to be enough money? Is there ever going to be enough time? I remember, uh, especially for the time, well, I guess for the money one too, but uh, for the time one, when my son Elliot was born, our life was already full. Our calendar was already packed. And then this little, beautiful baby boy shows up six months ago and everything is displaced. Absolutely everything. My sleep, my sanity, my everything. It's all displaced, but it's displaced for something amazing. 
So now I'm left wondering, well, will I have enough time to be a, a, a really attentive dad? Will I have enough time to, to get all the chores done? Will I have enough time to, to do all this stuff? And, and what kind of dad will I really be? Like when he's older, am I going to, you know, respond? How am I going to do discipline? And just like the weight of responsibility that's been thrust on my life in the last six months. And some of you, you're like, honey, I got five kids. You have no idea, okay? And, and you're right. I have no idea. But the pressure is real. And this is what we ask. There's a hole to fill. Do I have enough? Being called into ministry. That was another time that I was like, ooh, God, do you want me to be a, a what? A, a pastor? I remember I was sitting in this section over here, right, where kind of you guys are sitting. And I felt God say, and it wasn't like a voice, okay, I God and I generally don't talk like that, but it was just kind of like this sense that, that I could not deny that I was supposed to go into ministry. And I was like, how much money do pastors make? I don't know, God, that doesn't sound very fun. Uh, and I had some other plans. And, but I'm, I'm telling you, I felt like ultimately I wouldn't have enough money. I wouldn't have enough fun. I, w I didn't think that my life would be full by the way, I was wrong on all accounts. You see, here's something that we all know, we all experience, maybe you just haven't thought of it in these words, but this, this is the truth for all of our life, is that when, when we have feelings of inadequacy, feelings of inadequacy start with a mindset of scarcity. Feelings of inadequacy there's a hole to fill, there's a gap in my life, or there's a giant that's too big for me. I don't have the skills, I don't have the time, I don't have the energy, I don't have the money, I don't have the fill in the blank. Feelings of inadequacy comes from a mindset of scarcity. I don't have enough. And you know what the scary thing about having this mindset and feeling inadequate is? Some of us, we fall into the, the ditch of perfectionism like me. Some of us fall into the other side of the ditch and say, ah, why even try? And if you never try, you never experience the results, you never see the results. And if you're a perfectionist, even if you achieve the results, you never even feel them or live them in your life. Feelings of inadequacy, they start with a mindset of scarcity. See, the disciples, they ran into this exact same problem. Uh, they, they had this time uh, where uh, they were with Jesus and, and they received some really bad news. They received the news that John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin and his colleague, uh, they were on the same mission ushering the kingdom of God into the world and uh, John the Baptist was beheaded. He was beheaded. He died a, a gruesome and horrible death. And so Jesus is mourning his cousin and Jesus is, is obviously distraught because this is a very stark reminder of the fact that he too will die for his mission. And so they need some time away. And so Jesus and the disciples, after doing lots and lots of ministry and then receiving this terrible news, they're like, okay, let's get in a boat and we're gonna, we're gonna go away and we're just gonna mourn and we're gonna rest and we're gonna recover and pray and, and they just needed some space and some time. But that's... Not what happened. Look at what happened here. It says, as soon as Jesus heard the news, that's the news of, of uh, his cousin John the Baptist, 
He left in a boat to a remote area. The purpose is to be alone. I mean, wouldn't you want to be alone too? You'd want to have some space. But the crowds heard where he was and they headed, where he was headed and they followed on foot from many towns. So there's this big, massive lake uh, that Jesus is going uh, across in a boat to find some space. And then all of a sudden, 10,000 people show up where he's at, where he went to be alone. And, you know, if I was Jesus in that moment, I would have said, sorry, the shop is closed, okay? Well, I, I have no more energy for you today. But that would have been my human response. His response was way, way better and way more loving. This is what happened. It says that Jesus saw the huge crowd. And by the way, the huge crowd, which was over 10,000 people, these were all very common, like the, the original Greek language that the New Testament was written in, the, the word translated for huge crowd, that actually is a word that means the ordinary people. This isn't like the special people. This isn't like a bunch of celebrities that show up and Jesus is like, oh, you're really important, so I guess that I need to, you know, actually give you some attention. Now, this, these are just regular, ordinary people. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them. In other words, he felt their pain. He held their hurt. And, and again, in, in the Greek language here the, of the original uh, writing of the New Testament, it, it actually means that Jesus felt it like he was punched in the gut. Jesus could feel their hurt. So he had compassion on them. And then what did he do? He healed their sick. And wouldn't it be amazing if, if, uh, if we just kind of took this on as a, as a model, you know, as a model for, for how we minister to the world? Our mission as a church is to reach out and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. That is our mission. That's why we exist. It's what, why we do everything that we do as a church. And one of the ways that we can do that is simply seeing. Sometimes we're so concerned with our own world and our own pain and, every, and especially me. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm so busy. Oh, I, I gotta figure this out. Or what are we gonna do about this? Or what are we gonna do about that? That I can't even see all the hurt that's going on around me. I can't even see all the needs that are going on around me. It's easy to get focused on yourself. But Jesus, he saw the huge crowds and, and he stepped out of his boat. He could have just stayed in the boat and said, oh, there's a huge crowd, see you later. I need some time to be alone. But he stepped out of his boat. What would it take for us to step out and to have compassion and then to heal? See, the good news of Jesus Christ, it heals people. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. See, Jesus isn't just interested in one of those things. He's interested in all of them. His ministry is holistic. So Jesus, he saw the huge crowd and he stepped from the boat and he had compassion and he healed them. Uh, and, and then this is what happened next. It says this. That evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. It's already getting late. In other words, Jesus, we're in the middle of nowhere, and it's dinner time, and 
everybody's getting really, really hungry. And I know that you're the creator of the world. I know, you know, that, that you've been doing this amazing ministry. I know, Jesus, that like you are the almighty powerful God. And I know that you are wiser than anyone. But I just want to tell you what you need to do right now. Okay. So uh, this is what you need to do, Jesus. Send the crowd away so that they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. In case you hadn't noticed. You know, if you ever have to tell God what he needs to do to accomplish his mission, you probably have it a little backwards, just so you know. Uh, And this one's convicting for me, especially as a pastor. You know, it would be so easy sometimes to be like, God, you know what this church needs? Or you know what this, you know what we need to do? You know what our city needs? You know what our students need? You know what our children need? And to not actually just listen to what Jesus thinks they need. And you know, it was logical and it made a lot of sense. And actually it was probably from a a good heart. You know, hey, they're hungry. We gotta figure out a way for them to get food. But Jesus said this thing, it's so convicting and I I love what he says. And and sometimes we just need to hear this. But Jesus said, that's not necessary. Think of all the things in your life that you're like, God, you know, we really got to figure this out. Or if we could just fix this in our family, or if we could just change this about my work, or if we could, if we could just make some sort of deal, you and me, God, I'll come to church every week. I promise, you know, uh, if you ever make a deal with God like that, <laughs> good luck. It generally doesn't work. Uh, anyway, but Jesus says, that's not necessary. Sometimes. We have a a really keen idea about what is so needful and we feel it in our gut. But Jesus knows exactly what's needed for you and for me. He says, that's not necessary. You feed them. You feed them. And I imagine in that moment, if I'm in the disciples' uh, sandals, because I I don't think they had shoes, they'd probably wear sandals, right? Uh, And so if I'm in the disciples' sandals, And I hear Jesus say, you feed them. I'm going to look around at the 10,000 plus people that are there. And I'm going to have a mindset of scarcity. I'm going to think, well, what in the world do you want me to do? And how in the world am I supposed to do it? I don't have the resources. I don't have the time. I don't have the money. What you're asking of me is impossible. What you're asking of me takes more than positive thinking and thinking that the glass is half full. It takes, you know, actual food to feed them. And that's exactly what they were thinking. Let me look at what they said. They said, but we have only. What is it for you that you have only? I only have so much time. I only have so much money. I, I, I'm not really that important. I, you know, I'm not really that smart or that skilled. You know, I, I, I'd love to help in that way or I'd love to do that or wouldn't it be cool to one day? But I have only five loaves of bread and two fish. And in all reality, that was like a foot long and a half, okay? That was not... That was not a lot of food, uh, you know, and Bartholomew, he ate a lot, okay? He, he was that disciple that just like, everybody's like, how much can this guy eat? And so they didn't even have enough to feed their own party, right? And so we only have this much. And I love what Jesus says. He says this. He says, bring them here. In other words, bring what you have 
to me. And then he told the people to sit down on the grass and Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, which by the way, we have a demonstration over here. Kids, if you have not found friendly Jesus yet, he might be somewhere over here. Just saying. Uh, But we have friendly Jesus and he has his five loaves, uh, you know, a hamburger bun. It's a little stale from last night. So, uh, but, you know, Jesus can work with that. And uh, we got the two fish and then there's the 12 disciples. Uh, Ken is over here and uh, Ken is is a new translation for Andrew or something. I don't know. Pastor jokes. Martin Luther's over here. uh, All sorts of things. And then uh, we have the 12 baskets, um, you know, little, little, ketchup cups or I don't know what you even call that but we have 12 baskets because biblical accuracy is very important in this church okay so uh so that's kind of what it looked like and Jesus said bring your hamburger buns here okay and uh bring them to me and he told everybody to sit down on the grass and Jesus takes the fish and he takes the loaves and he looks up towards heaven and he blesses them he essentially prays over the meal and then breaking the loaves into pieces And that doesn't mean that he took like a little hamburger bun and chopped it up into 10,000 tiny little crumbs and then handed out crumbs to everyone and that satiated everybody. No, it was a miracle. It was a miracle. Breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread, catch this, this is really important. He gave the bread to who? It was kind of like a whisper mumble. I want to make sure you got it. He gave the bread to who? The disciples. Jesus didn't take the bread and say, okay, here's some bread for you and 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 some bread for you. One, that would have taken forever. But two, our God likes to use really ordinary people to do extraordinary, miraculous things. He gave the bread to the disciples and it was the disciples' job to distribute it to who? The people, which is, by the way, that same word for the crowd. To 10,000 plus people. Five loaves. Two fish, and this is the best part. Look at this. It says, on that next screen, there we go, that they ate, look at this, as much as they wanted. They had this mindset of scarcity, and look at what they end up doing. They end up eating as much as they want. And afterwards, it's almost like God is trying to make a point. And afterwards, the disciples picked up how many? How many disciples were there? I'm pretty sure God was making a point there that that he had it covered. 12 baskets of leftovers. How many of y'all know that we have a leftovers kind of God? We got a God that is a God of abundance. A lot of times we think, well, you know, I... I don't know, I don't know if I can really count on God to come through for me or I don't really know if like God has really big plans for for my life. Well, guess what? You have a big God. You have a God who has leftovers in mind. See, in fact, it says that about 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. This was a miracle. We have a leftovers kind of God. In fact, if I was gonna sum this whole story up in a way that I hope that you could remember it and just kind of like say it to your, your spouse or call up your boyfriend and say, hey, this is what I learned in church or call up your mom who lives in another town. It's like, hey, mom, I went to church. I know you ask every week and uh, this is what I learned. You know, you can actually tell them. Uh, and so if, if I was gonna sum the whole thing up, this is how I'd say it. God can do a lot with whatever you got. Thank you, Dr. Seuss, right? Because uh, it rhymes. That's how you remember it, right? That's how you remember That's those pastor tricks, you know, that they teach you in seminary. Make it rhyme. No, I never took a pastor tricks class. That's not, they don't have that. In sem- well, maybe some seminaries do, but not the one I went to. But God, he can do a lot 
with whatever it is that you got. You only got five loaves, two fish. God can do a lot with that. See, this isn't the only time that, that God did stuff like this. Way back in, in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, there's this account, this, his, this historical thing that actually happened where Moses, he was at this bush and the bush was on fire and he was in the presence of God and God called Moses and said, Moses, you're gonna go and you are gonna free all of the slaves, all of my people that are slaves in Egypt. And Moses is like, look, God, I know you're the creator of the universe, but let me tell you what you need to do. You need to find someone that speaks better than me because I have a stutter and a criminal history and I'm just not your guy, okay? You gotta find someone better than, than me. So let me just tell you what you need to do, God. And God said, that's not necessary. What do you have in your hand there, Moses? He had a staff. He said, okay, take what you got. This is what you're gonna say. And I will demonstrate my power when you use this staff. I will demonstrate my glory to the nations and they will believe you that God has sent you. Because God can do a lot with whatever it is that you got. David, he's, he's called out by God. He's feeling the passion and the, he's the compassion of his people because the Philistines are gonna take over. And Goliath is this giant of a man, this warrior that David goes up to face that no one else will face, and he's just a shepherd boy. He's, the armor doesn't fit him. He doesn't have a sword. He's got a rock and a, and a sling and some passion, and that's about it. But he slays the giant and frees his people. God can do a lot with whatever it is that you got. I think of Paul. Paul was, uh, before he was Paul, he was Saul, and Saul persecuted Christians. In fact, he was responsible for the death of many Christians in the early church. He wanted to, to stamp out this Jesus movement and make sure that it didn't go beyond the, what it already had done. And then Paul's visited, or Saul is visited by Jesus and he's transformed. His whole life is transformed. God took his history, his mistakes, and his story, and his pain, and he flipped it all on its head. And then Paul writes uh, almost half of the New Testament. God can do a lot with whatever story you got. And think, think of the disciples. Man, they, they, were, they didn't really look like blonde-haired, blue-eyed Ken doll with a robe on it or uh, Martin Luther or uh, whoever else we have down here. They were ordinary people, ordinary guys. In fact, when you look at their story, they're, they're, if there's like C level, they were like C minus or below, okay? They were, uh, they were struggling on a big level. But God loves to take ordinary people like you and me and do extraordinary things, miraculous things. God can do a lot with whatever it is you got. God could take what you think is small and he can make it big. 
God can take what you think is meager and he can make it magnificent. God can take what you think is ordinary and he can make it extraordinary. God can take what you think is broken and he can restore it. God can take what you think is unholy and what you think is unredeemable and he can make it new again. God can do a lot with whatever it is that you got. He can take your sin and he can make you new God can do a lot with whatever it is that you got, so bring it to him. Don't just write yourself off or write other people off because they don't look like they got a lot. God can do a lot with whatever it is that that you got. Now, in in the movie The Intern, um, I was watching this with with my wife, Michelle, and and I said, this is the clip that we're gonna do. Uh, and, And she said, well, it's not like the most exciting or like crazy or dramatic moment ever. And I'm like, yeah, that's actually why it's good. Because God uses us in ordinary moments to do extraordinary things, important things, significant things. In the movie, uh, Ben, uh, Robert De Niro's character, he, he doesn't really have any work to do as an intern because everyone's writing him off. Everyone's like, oh, you're 70? You don't even have a Facebook account? Yeah, you don't really get what's going on around here, do you? This company's fast. This company, you know, we, we got lots of things to do. We're really important, and it's really nice that you're here, but, you know, we're not going to have that much work for you because, well, you're old. No one said it that way, but Ben knew that's what they were thinking. And so Ben did, did everything that he could, you know, he, he would show up every day, he was on time, and he, he brought what he had. He put a suit on, even though no one else put a suit on, and he started making friends and supporting his coworkers. There was this big mess in the office that no one ever cleaned up. It's like, hey, no one's giving me anything to do. I'm, no one's going to told me to do this, but I'm just going to go do it. And he just did what he could. And then, then he had a moment where he saw that there was something really important that he needed to do. And it was the most important thing that he could have done. He saw something. He felt in his gut what he needed to do. And he went and he did it. It's just like what Jesus did when he saw the crowds. And you know, he calls us to do ordinary things in ordinary moments as ordinary people. And our God, he tends to take what we got and do a lot with it. I love this verse. This is a verse that we had at our wedding uh, because it's, it's just so awesome. Uh, it is Ephesians chapter 3 verses, verse 20. It says, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. God is able to accomplish infinitely more than you might ask or think of him. God is able to accomplish infinitely more in and through you than you might ever ask or think or dream. God's dreams are pretty big. And I'll tell you, if you're like, you know, I, I, already, I already do a bunch of stuff. You know, I do, I do good things and, and, I, and I'm a good person. This isn't about you being a good person or not. But I want to ask you, do you have a mission that's bigger than you? that requires God? Do you have something that you're set out to do that is bigger than your capabilities? Because if you don't, you you do not have a mission of faith. If you have a mission that's bigger than you, you're gonna need a God that's bigger than your mission. 
And some of you, you have that mission and you're feeling so like, oh man, how am I ever gonna raise these kids? Or how am I ever gonna get through this season? How am I ever gonna, gonna accomplish that? And you need to know how big your God really is. We have a God of leftovers. We have a God of abundance. We have a God that can do infinitely more than we might ever ask or think. He can do a lot with whatever you got. Some of you, 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 you're here today and you've been coming for a while and you're like, you know, I've kind of been waiting for, for God to give me a sign, you know, a sign that I'm really supposed to get in the game and get involved and, and volunteer on Wednesday nights with kids or with, uh, with the, uh, uh, the junior high students or the high school students or maybe be one of the Hope ambassadors out there and, and greet people as they come in or drive the Hope Mobile, which that's a, that is a prized position, uh, I, I will say. But uh, uh, you're thinking like, I've been waiting for God to give me a sign that it's time to get involved. Here it is. A whole sermon how God can do a lot with whatever you got. And some of you, you're thinking, okay, uh, well, I, don't, I just don't know if I'm smart enough to like teach junior hires. Hey, do you care about them? We can work with that. Some of you that do this are giggling right now. I see you. You're giggling because you know that God can do a lot with whatever you got. He can do infinitely more than we might ask or think. And so th- this is what I want to challenge all of us to do today. It's to bring whatever you got to him, whatever it is. Some of you, it's not that you need to bring your time or your talent or your um, money for a mission or for, for whatever it is. It's, it's that you need to bring your past. He can do a lot, even with your story. He can do a lot, even with your choices. He can do a lot even with your pain. He can do a lot even with your suffering. Bring it to him. Bring whatever it is that you have to him. You see, God, he did a lot already. He did a lot with a couple pieces of wood and three nails. He did a whole lot. What he did, it actually, it changed more than just a religious movement. It changed eternity. And it was just some, some nails and some wood and, and a body. You see, Jesus was God with a body. He put on flesh and he came to this world and he loved people, just loved them. And he healed them and he showed them what the kingdom of God is like. And a lot of people didn't like that because it threatened their power and their status and And then Jesus fulfilled his mission. He went to a cross and he was crucified. He he was nailed to that cross. And some people think, oh, well, a lot of people, everyone dies. And there were so many people that were crucified during the Roman Empire. You know, it's it's just another thing that happened. In fact, there were a lot of people that claimed to be God and a lot of people that claimed to be Messiah. Yeah, that, that was true. They didn't do any of the things that Jesus did. Or live near as good of a life. But, but in that death, God opened his hands to you and to me. So that whatever we bring to him, in the name of Jesus, whatever we bring to him, he can do something with that. And you know, that, that's why we're so excited about our Lenten project. We're doing a, 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 something called a home of hope. 
See, just out of curiosity, how many of you have raised a child? Uh, go ahead and raise your hand. Anybody here? Okay, a lot of you. Okay, we have our first child at home right now, Elliot. He's amazing. I love him so much. But on Fridays, Fridays, my wife is at work and I'm at home and I love him in the morning and I am tired in the afternoon, okay? In the morning, it's like dad and Sunday and and it's awesome and we're playing and giggling and tickling and he's sitting up and he ate mashed nanners for the first time. It was awesome Uh, and it was just so wonderful. But by the time that Michelle gets, gets done with work for the day, I'm like, honey, I'm so glad that you're home. We can be a team again. Thank you for like, never leave me, okay? We need you, right? And some of you are like, you think that's bad. I have five kids, honey. Like, you, you just need to, you need to, you need to chill. I've told you that. But here, every Friday, when Michelle gets home, we always say, it just comes up in conversation. It's like, man, can you imagine if one of us was a single parent? How hard that would be? It feels like we can never get anything done. It feels like that there's, there's no time. It feels like that there's, there's just no energy. It just feels stressful. We're so much better together, aren't we? We're so lucky. And the reason why we're doing a home for hope is because not everyone is lucky like that at this stage in life. There's a lot of young women with unplanned pregnancies in our community. And if we as a community can come alongside them and say, hey, I know that it's not the story that you planned. I know it's not the thing that you hoped for. I know that this situation isn't exactly what you would call enough. You might feel like there's a gap or you'd probably feel like there's a giant in your life and you cannot face it alone. And guess what? You don't have to. You don't have to face it alone because God, he can do a lot with whatever you got. And we've experienced that as a church. So we're gonna share that with you. That's why we're doing a home for hope. This home of hope is going to do a lot. No matter who you are or where you're at in faith and on all of these things. And I know I've said it a million times and I sound like Dr. Seuss. I know. But I hope it really sinks into your heart today. Not only that God can do a lot, but he wants to do a lot with what you got. So bring it to him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you're a God of abundance. Thank you that you do not leave us in our mindset of scarcity, but you came into this world to show us how big and powerful you really are, to shine your light into darkness. And I pray, God, that you would just bring to mind for every man, woman, and child in this room exactly what it is that they need to bring to you and exactly what you want them to do with it. And Lord, would you give us a vision to know and to feel the abundance that you want to bring from it and through it. So we trust you, we love you, and we give all these things to you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Everybody said, amen.